Is everything working, is the question. My brain is not working, for sure. Okay, well, we only have to talk about the European Union, so who needs a brain when you do that? <laughs> It's uh, Thursday, May 30th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Municipal Flag Collector. With me today is Molly Quell, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Will Court Correspondent, and Belgium Pepper Spray Victim. You you did a lot this week. I had a rough, you had a, I've had you, a rough you, week. You had a rough week, yeah. <laughs> Our third regular podcast host, Gordon Derrick. Contributing editor at Dutch News isn't here today. He miraculously managed to go to France by public transportation. Honestly, I, it sounds like all of us have had kind of rough weeks, but I'm mostly surprised that Gordon managed to making it to yeah, Paris. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's the miracle. It's, it's a miracle. That's the miracle. It's the Frans Timmermans miracle. It is. Um, so why are you a municipal flag collector? Yeah, so I ended up on, on the Wikipedia page of Delft, as uh, one does. As one does. Delft is a pretty good flag, I think. Do you? Yeah, I didn't even know the flag of, of Delft. Yeah. I only found out uh, earlier this week what it looked like. It's, yeah. it's, it's a white flag with a black stripe on yeah. it. And uh, so I was wondering, I asked my Twitter followers to send their municipal flags and uh, I got flooded by the most ugliest <laughs> municipal flags. Municipal are flags. Really They're really bad. Yeah. And the worst one is the municipal flag of Vera. Um, that doesn't surprise me. Vera is a terrible city. Do you think it's terrible? I don't like it as a town. No, it's, a, it's a nice, it's a nice town. But this is the flag of Vera. Oh my God. Yes. That is the worst flag ever. I think I've ever seen. Are yes. they in jail? <laughs> no, it's like the the, the the poles on the beach. I think. Oh, gotcha. We will uh, we'll post this flag in the liner notes. I think <laughs> maybe we'll use it as our photo you know, for the podcast. You know, you have this this. I think it's quite a well known TED talk of this guy who talks about flags. Yes, and he. He, he actually calls the flag of Amsterdam one of the best flags yeah. in the world. But uh, he also shows a couple of the worst flags and. The most terrible one is the flag of Milwaukee. Yeah, which is bad. Which is bad. But I think Gemeente Vera has a worse flag, I think. Well, I mean, some of the things that he... He's also written a book on the subject, and I've read it, and I find it quite interesting. But one of the things that he recommends is, is that like a five-year-old should be able to draw the flag, which the flag of Vera does meet that criteria. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but you don't know... Uh, you are, it's absolutely forbidden to use words. Yeah, it's forbidden to use words. And, and this flag... Says really large. Gemeente Vera on yeah. it. Um, yeah, so that is, that's obviously a problem. Um, I personally am troubled by the, like, fact that it looks like it was done in paint <laughs> by a 12-year-old. Yeah, and it has this white um, frame around, around it. it. Yeah, yeah, really weird. Yeah. Okay, enough about the flag of Vera. Let's go to Belgium. because no, let's not. What's hap- what happened in Belgium? I got pepper sprayed by the police in Belgium <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> I was there covering Belgian elections, and uh, uh, you did in in ways you you didn't plan. <laughs> I just sort of thought I was going to go and like talk to some nice like voters outside of a polling station, and instead the Gelaheisjes had like a protest that got very out of hand. Um, the yellow vests, yeah, yeah, and, uh, and you were in the middle of I it. I was in the middle of it hmm. and got along with half of the Belgian TV presenters. I think got pepper sprayed. Um, and it was very entertaining because immediately after, once the situation had calmed down enough, the Red Cross was like already there. So the police, you know, had us go to the Red Cross and like get treated or whatever. There's not much they can do for pepper spray. It's just sort of like 
cry it out, which is what I spent the rest <laughs> of my afternoon doing. Um, but they were trying to like write down like some sort of incident report and could not find anyone that spoke English. And of course I was in Brussels, which means everyone speaks French. Uh, I offered to speak Dutch and that was worse. I think than only speaking English that did not, I don't think helped my situation. Um, so it was very confusing and it took a long time for them to find someone who was English speaking. So you cried out the pepper spray and a day later you could cry even more because you went to the, what was it? The, the, so the Morgan Orca hearing the, this, this is the story about this whale that was found in the Vadenzese. I think it's been like 10 years now. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and she was quite sick and they uh, picked her up and she went to the Dolphinarium and where is that? Hardevike. Hardevike, yeah. And they nursed her back to health, but they uh, they said that they didn't have the, they don't have the space for her. Orcas apparently are very social creatures, so they need to be like together in like a pod. And uh, this foundation began suing because they wanted her to be released back to the wild. Um, and then there was like an independent sort of commission. It's all been very complicated. This is like the 10th time they've been in court. But there was an independent commission and the commission said she probably couldn't go back to the wild. So they found a place for her at the Laurel Park in, in Spain on the Spanish Canary Islands. Um, so she's been there and this organization has continued sort of suing in the Netherlands because um, they say that the transfer permit that was used to transfer her because orcas are an endangered species from the Netherlands to Spain is invalid for all sorts of reasons, um, in particular because they say that this place isn't treating her very well um, and then she got pregnant. Um, which, which is also against one of the terms. Well, so it's like it's very legally technically complicated, but... Essentially, what the Spanish park is arguing is is that she was explicitly given there under the conditions that she would only be used for research purposes and not for anything else. Um, and so they say that like research does not preclude her from being mm. bred. And the Free Morgan Foundation says, you know, this is only for research purposes and not for breeding purposes. It apparently turns out like the form is a little unclear. So there's the, the, this is mostly what this legal case is resting on. The thing that was... The most interesting was that the park has not admitted to breeding her. So the question that came up in court, which we got to hear a lot about fucka in court, because that is the Dutch word for breeding, um, was how the whale ended up knocked up in the first place. And uh, the park claims that, like, she basically became such became so well incorporated into the other pod of orcas that she... Spontaneously got pregnant. She chose to, like, sleep around, basically. Um, and of course, were they slut-shaming Orca they, Morgan? They were kind of slut-shaming wow. Orca Morgan. Uh, one side was. The other side, of course, was doing its best to describe in detail how orcas procreate um, in order to demonstrate that it actually would be quite difficult for them to do it in captivity, um, complete with, like demonstrations <laughs> a lot of a yeah, lot of things yeah. i can't unsee now <laughs> yeah and the the the, the will people are basically insane yeah i mean they're all kind of insane and spanish yeah yeah and well Dutch. yeah there was a lot of the, yeah and and on top of that there was a lot of issues of language because this is was at the Radvanstata, which of course is a the Dutch High Court, so it's all done in Dutch, but everybody is from other countries, basically. So there was a lot of, like, issues of whether or not, like, you could read a statement in English or, like, this supporting documentation was in Spanish and, like, blah, 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 blah. Mm. So it was very, yeah. like... I should have joined you, though. You Would should have, have come. Very, it was very, very fun day, It was very fun. Yeah. Actually, the thing that I think was the most uh, entertaining part of it was is that when I got there, you, like, have to stay in, like, a waiting room while you're waiting for the case to be heard. And there was, like, the free Morga people with all of their, like 
t-shirts and signs and whatever on one side of the room and then like the park people on the other <laughs> side and then like there was there was a tv crew there but other than this there weren't any other journalists like at no that's not true there was a tv crew there was a there's a crew that was making a documentary and there was one there was a dutch a dutch guy from i think the nrc um was there and so it was like f- the the free morga people on the left side of the room and the the Spanish park morgue people on the other side of the room. And then like me and this one like Dutch guy just like sitting in the middle feeling extremely uncomfortable. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so fun, you had a fun week. It's been a long I, uh, week. It's a long week. Yeah. yeah. And now we're here in this podcast. So uh, let's go to the uh, Ophef of the week. Ophef of the week. And it's almost June. So that means it's beyond time for Sinterklaas related I love a good Sinterklaas related Ophef. Uh, this time, however, it's not about blackface or supermarkets selling paper noted too early, but it's about a steamship. Yeah. That's got a bit of a size issue. Yeah. <laughs> Last week it was announced the nationally televised arrival of Sinterklaas will take place in Appledorn on November 16th. Um, this immediately raised some questions, mostly because the town in Gelderland does not have a harbor. Um, and the canal that runs through the city is not deep enough or wide enough for the for a steamship, which is Sinterklaas's traditional mode of transportation. And the NTR, the broadcaster who organizes the national arrival, confirmed Sinterklaas will not arrive by steamship <gasps> this year. Scandal. Yes, and it's still unknown how he will travel to Appledorn. I mean, he could, like, hop on one of those little paddle boat things. A, a, a canoe. Yeah, a canoe. Oh. Or, like, a rowing. He could, like... Do like a rowing team thing? Maybe, maybe that. He can be the coxswain on the rowing. Maybe he can. Maybe he can travel by steamship and then as far as he can and then transfer to some some other smaller. I mean, his horse can probably swim. Maybe he can ride an orca. He can. What kind of lawsuits will we get from that? So many. So many. Maybe he can ride one of the errant goldfish that people keep jumping (laughs) on the canals. (laughs) A lot of options here. A lot of options. Um, this week we update you on everything what happened in The Hague this week, and uh, that was a lot. Uh, we tell you uh, why everybody had to work from home on Tuesday and what perfume will soon be fashionable to wear. Uh, after the break we discuss the Dutch results of the European Parliament elections. All right. It's been a busy week, yeah. So and many things have happened. Yeah, a lot of things happened. Lots yeah. of things have yeah, happened. Yeah, a lot of small things. Yeah. So we're going to try to cover them uh, uh, now in this segment. Um, yeah. yeah, as we said, it has been a busy week, not only because of the European Parliament and Eerste Kamer elections, which we will discuss uh, after the break, uh, but there was also a lot of other news. Uh, first of all, current affairs program Newsuur revealed that Prime Minister Mark Rutte blocked the release of CO2 emission reduction calculations of uh, plans outlined in the climate agreement. That was a mouthful. Yep. Um, in the days before Prinsjesdag, or Budget Day, as we like to call it. Uh, that's the official name That's the official name, the name of this podcast, yeah. Rutte allegedly called it undesirable that the numbers calculated by planning agency CPB and environmental assessment agency PBL were published in the days before uh, the Algemene Politieke Beschouwingen, and that's the most uh, important debate in the Tweede Kamer on the, on the next year's budget. Uh, both agencies were ready to publish their calculations on September 13th, but this only happened on September 28th, 10 days after the budget day debate. Uh, political leaders from both sides of the spectrum uh, reacted furiously to the news. Uh, Geert Wilders of the PVV and uh, Jesse Klaver of GroenLinks both demanded a debate with Mark Rutte. Wow, Mark Rutte is getting a lot of debate requests lately. Uh, which were the others? Cherry. 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 What? What? Oh, the the cherry debate. Cherry yeah, debate. yeah. But this one is an actual debate yeah. in the Tweede Kamer, of course. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, this is not a good look for Mark Rutte. No, no, definitely not. Um, 
but I don't understand why he didn't want these numbers to be released before budget day because you know there's a debate but you can debate about that then right yeah exactly. it doesn't really matter i mean the thing i think that is the worst about this is is that these are both like independent sort of like agencies that of which we have so many in this country yeah there are so many um but the say Bay and the uh the pebel do i think very good work and that like squashing information that's coming from them i don't think is healthy for democracy and also is like not healthy for the fact that people need to make good decisions about climate change which is going to kill the entire planet and us all so <laughs> yeah. like yeah it's a bad look for Russia, so it's a bad look so um yeah i didn't hear that much about it in the no. media uh, it's not that big of an op have i think but yeah maybe after this debate um uh, we will hear more yeah. about it i mean i think in part it didn't attract that much attention because there was like so much like stuff that happened this week as we're going to continue discussing yeah, uh, for example, GroenLinks MP Zini Oersdeel announced on Facebook that he will resign from the Tweede Kamer. According to the Facebook po- post, Oersdeel uh, felt he had to because uh, he's personally against the uh, student loan system, uh, while the party is officially in favor. Party leader Jesse Klaver, for example, was one of the architects of the student loan system, which was installed in 2015. Jesse Klaver, however, speaks of a breach of confidence as the main reason for the departure of Oersdeel. Mm. Apparently, the Oersdeel uh, and um, Jesse Klaver had a phone call earlier this week, Oesdeel tried to uh, record this phone call, which failed, and Oesdeel told this to one of his confidants within the party, and his confidants told it to Jesse Klaver, so yeah, then he was forced to resign, so yeah, there's a lot of um, party intrigue going on in GroenLinks yeah, right now, and um, drama. yeah, so um, yeah, that's not a good look for, uh, for GroenLinks, I No, think. also not a good look for GroenLinks. No. Uh, so apart from European Union elections, uh, there was another election here in the Netherlands, was there not? Yeah, uh, I almost completely forgot about it, though. I did not, because I ran into my friend who is, uh... In a Statelit. Yeah. Ah, and so he had to vote. So we were, yeah, so we were discussing this. Mm, yeah. Well, I almost forgot it, but this week, 570 provincial representatives, of whom Molly knows one, uh, elected the new members of the Eerste Kamer. In a very complicated uh, election. Yeah, it's I have very to say. complicated. We're not going to get into. Are we going to get into like, a, a bit? A bit. Oh, um, sorry, no. sorry, listeners. <laughs> it's a good time to go make a cup of tea. Later. <laughs> uh, I would like to have a cup of tea. You have a cup of tea. It's almost finished. <laughs> Um, so not all votes counted the same. The weight of a representative's vote is based on the population of his or her province. A vote from Zeeland, for example, counts uh, seven times less than from uh, Zuid-Holland. Um, usually a representative would vote for a Senate candidate of his or her own party, but uh, sometimes uh, they're not obliged to do so. And sometimes it's politically more beneficial to vote for someone else. For example, if you are in a coalition. Yeah. Uh, because there are a lot of rest seats and these, yeah. you know, there's a very complicated system again to... Uh, redistribute these seats so yeah. sometimes a VVD uh, provincial uh, member from Zeeland can vote for someone from CDA and that would result in a se- extra seat for CDA yeah. rather than a seat for one of the opposition so right. I, now I understand why there's are so many months before the provincial elections yeah. and the Eerste Kamer election because they have to calculate everything it's stuff. very complicated um, yeah but uh, the coalition managed to to do it very well because mm-hmm. they gained two more seats than they were initially expected yep. to do so they now have 32 seats yeah. and they need 38 for a majority and um, yeah, this means that uh, they only need one more party for a majority. So, for example, they can team up with GroenLinks, uh, who has uh, um, eight seats, yeah. or they can team up with the PVDA, they have uh, six seats. And they can also team up with Forum for Democratie, who have 12 seats, 
uh, opposed to the 13 seats they were projected to get. Yeah. So now they are um, uh, have the same seats as the VVD. Yeah. So that's interesting. So the the coalition can go uh, both uh, to the left and to the right to, the to, left uh, to and get to the there. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, that will be interesting. It will be. Also in, in Flevoland and North Brabant, two VVD uh, uh, representatives voted for D66. Why? I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe for the for the coalition. Yeah, uh, I guess things. so. I think that's the reason. And in Utrecht, two PVV representatives voted for Forum for Democratie. Oh, scandal! Yeah, and in Zeeland, one Forum for Democratie representative voted for SGP. Uh oh, interesting. So, yeah, so um, if the if the PVV guys in Utrecht wouldn't vo- wouldn't have voted for the Forum for Democratie, then uh, Forum for Democratie would get eleven seats so then they would have been smaller than the VVD but luckily mm-hmm. for them there were some PVV guys in Utrecht who voted for them there you go it's all very complicated it's all very complicated speaking of things that are complicated a strike by public transit workers on Tuesday led to long traffic jams as commuters turned to cars and taxis to get to work by 8 a.m there were 520 kilometers of slow-moving vehicles on Dutch roads traffic had ground to a halt around Alkmaar and Rotterdam uh, motoring organization on Bay said <laughs> hashtags such as May Rijden and Lift Angeboden became popular as people sought to share rides. Uh, in Amsterdam, officials opened the eye tunnel to bikes and mopeds because there were no ferries over the eye. Uh, however, there was very limited train service between Amsterdam Central Station and Schiphol Airport that was ordered by a court on Sunday. Um, they wanted to try to stop unsafe situations from developing, mostly... Uh, foreigners showing up in this country and not knowing how to deal with their lives. Uh, KLM allowed some passengers to reschedule their flights free of charge if they risked getting caught up in the strike. Uh, Some universities and colleges, including Amsterdam and Utrecht universities, changed the dates of exams planned for Tuesday because of the strike. Quote, many students these days have to travel to university and without public transport, it will be very complicated, said the UVA spokesperson. So why exactly were these people striking? The strike is part of a campaign to have the state pension age frozen at 66 um, and to ensure that pensions arise in line with inflation. The union wants uh, the cabinet to commit to keeping the state pension age at 66. Like I said, uh, it's gradually being increased in three month increments and will hit 67 years and three months by 2024. Yes. And I, I thought it was really fun to see that the the court ordered these trains to run to and from Schiphol because yeah. they felt Schiphol uh, ought to be accessible, but only uh, accessible from Amsterdam, apparently. The rest yeah. of the country didn't matter. No, the rest of the country did no, not matter. No, so that was fun. I mean, we know the rest of the country doesn't matter. Come on. No, no. Of course not. The Rijksvoorlichtingsdienst, the government uh, communication department, confirmed King Willem-Alexander has formally invited US President Donald Trump to the Netherlands to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the Battle of the Scheld. The battle uh, was a crucial part of the Second World War. Allied troops opened the shipping route to Antwerp so the port could be used to supply the Allied forces in northwestern Europe. Uh, It's still unclear, however, if the president will attend the ceremony on August uh, 31st, which makes the invitation quite unusual, because usually these invitations are only extended when when there are indications uh, they will be accepted. So it's still unclear if the president will come to Ternose. Yes. Poor, poor Donald Trump. You don't want to go to Ternose. I, I mean... It's practically Belgium, It's though, practically so, Belgium, yeah, that's true. That's true. And there are uh, more Trumps coming to the Netherlands, aren't there, Paul? I don't know. You uh, you can tell me more about that, uh, Molly. I don't want to. You have to. Ivanka Trump is coming for some stupid reason. Who? I have to go deal with it. You you have to cover Ivanka Trump? Yeah, she's going to uh, be in The Hague next week for the Global Entrepreneurship Summit. 
And, and uh, you have to cover this. I'm covering this. For for what reason? For Dutch news or no, for the uh, for for my real job. Um, and uh, do, did you prepare a question for her? What do you no. want to ask her? If there is one question you can ask her, what will you ask? How do you sleep at night? How do you sleep at night? I think with a lot of pills. Yeah, I think that's the answer. <laughs> uh, I suspect I will not get the opportunity to ask her a question. Uh, that's and, too bad. And if I do, I'll try to ask something pointed about global entrepreneurship. But we will, <laughs> we will see. You will try to behave. Mm. No promises. <laughs> uh, Don't bring your Belgian pepper spray. I though. won't bring my Belgian pepper spray. <laughs> and other people who are from the U.S. who I love dearly and have an excellent working relationship with, <laughs> the U.S. ambassador uh, P. Koestra was in the news this week too. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he criticized the military spending of the Netherlands. He told uh, Volkskrant newspaper the Dutch spending is still not enough to meet the NATO targets. Uh, NATO member states are supposed to uh, to spend two uh, percent of their GDP on defense. But even though extra budget was announced on Monday, uh, Dutch spending will still only be 1.3 percent why is the netherlands not prepared to shoulder its share of the nato budget he asked what do you have against uh, the 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 american ambassador can you tell us something about that he um what did he call me uh unreliable unreliable liar i think he called me a liar oh really what did you lie about I don't know. I was there to write about the uh, new embassy building in The Hague, uh, in Vossenaar, and it's quite a green building. It's sort of interesting what they like did with the architecture, and, you know, he hates the media and journalists and thinks that, like, we shouldn't exist, I guess, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. So, okay. not my biggest fan. Speaking, speaking of, of people who are your biggest fans... Speaking of people who are my biggest fans... Are they really? They do like Truby, the Hells Angels. Do they? Yeah. <laughs> Niels had a, uh, my partner had an encounter with Truby and these Hells Angels guys, and they fucking loved Truby, so, you know, there is that. Hitler was a vegetarian, Hells Angels like Truby, I mean, how bad could it possibly be? Civil court judges in Utrecht have agreed that the Dutch arm of motorbike gang the Hells Angels should be banned and broken up, ending years of legal action by the public prosecution department. The public prosecutor has told the court that there is a culture of violence within the biker group, which forms a threat to the rule of law. It is the first time that the Hells Angels have been banned nationally, although some local chapters are banned in parts of Germany. The Dutch public prosecutor first attempted to have the organization ruled illegal in 2007. The courts had earlier banned biker gangs Satudara and Bandidos, although the Bandidos ban was partially overturned on appeal. A ban on no surrender is currently with the appeals court. So why did the prosecutor want to outlaw this club? According to the court, and I quote, (laughs) the Hells Angels organization is a threat to public order. The Hells Angels see themselves as a 1% club, a club of outlaws, a club where the culture of lawlessness reigns and government authority is kept out. There are various patches that are issued to members who commit serious violence. Hells Angels present themselves as the largest and most powerful motorcycle club. They think other clubs should listen to them, resulting in longstanding conflicts. This is accompanied worldwide by a series of serious incidents, including the life-threatening fire at a cafe in Kerkrada and a massive fight and shooting at a hotel in, in Rotterdam. And a massive fight and shooting at a hotel in Rotterdam. End quote. Yeah, and the, the problem with this, um, uh, you know, uh, f- uh, banning these, uh, these bargain gangs is that they can basically found another biker gang with a similar name the next day and then yeah. they can just... Well, continue. and there's also, I think, a discussion about, like, free association and free movement and these kinds of things. And it's quite hard, I think, for... This is why they've had such... This is why they've had such a difficult time banning them is because it's quite difficult to define what is an organization that the government says you can 
like socialize in and what is one that you can't like it's quite difficult to ban this sort of like yeah yeah concept you know like if i just own a motorcycle and i wear like a hell's angels jacket am i part of this like hell's angels gang i mean part of their argument in court was is that um you can't ban it nationally because there's 16 chapters in the netherlands but they're not there's no overarching organizing body so you have to ban them all individually although Mm. the court didn't take this argument to be true um, but you know, it's a bit yeah, like banning, cool. you know, people who like s- people who play soccer, right. That like, you know, how do <laughs> That's you, an idea. it is an idea, Yeah, wow. you know, it's, it's easy, maybe easy enough to ban the like Ajax, right. From doing stuff, but it's a lot harder to kind of ban, like pick up soccer clubs in your neighborhood. But it is forbidden to, to, you know, you can ban criminal organizations, of course, but then the next question is how can you actually prove that this is a criminal organization, an criminal organization. Yeah. Yeah. Or is it. A group of people who like motorcycles and there happens to be some violence associated with it. Or is it a criminal enterprise that happens to like motorcycles, right? So yeah. that's, that's I think, part of the legal question that's difficult to answer. Interesting. But yeah. now they're banned and uh, there will probably be appeals. They'll, so they'll be an appeal. We will hear much more about this. Maybe I'll go cover that at the Rad von Stata. Oh, that would be a fun case That to would be fun, on. yeah. 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 In sports, uh, Sparta Rotterdam and RKC Waalwijk will move back into the Eredivisie next season after beating the Graafschap and go-ahead Eagles for their final places in the 18-team league. Go-ahead Eagles. FC Twente, as winner of the First Division League, automatically wins promotion back to the Eredivisie after being relegated last season. The Graafschap, Excelsior and NAC Breda will now move down to the uh, other Dutch professional league next season. In uh, Formula 1 news, Max Verstappen criticized uh, Formula 1's uh, penalty point system after he was penalized for touching with uh, Valtteri Bottas during Sunday's Monaco Grand Prix. The Red Bull driver was deprived of a podium finish after the team was given a 5-second penalty for an unsafe release as the Dutchman jumped ahead of Bottas in the pit lane. Verstappen took advantage of a slow stop by his rival, but the stewards ruled that he had failed to avoid contact with the Finn and imposed two penalty points. He's got a real chip on his shoulder, man. That's true. But you have a question. I do have a question. Yeah. Uh, there was some news about women. Yeah. I thought you you, you wanted sports. to you wanted to ask this question. I like ladies. If sports. there is one question that you have to ask in the sports segment, what about then the women? What about the women? Exactly. Yeah. And there is some good and there is some bad news. The bad news is that Dutch tennis player Kiki Bertens had to give up in the second round of Grand Slam tournament Roland Garros in Paris. Uh, Bertens, who is placed fourth on the world ranking, was seen as one of the favorites to win in Paris, but unfortunately she got ill and wasn't able to complete the match against Victoria Kuznova. The good news is that the Orange Lionesses are more than ready for the upcoming World Championships, which starts next week in France. Uh, women football had not, have never been so popular and uh, support had reached an all-time high. The hope is, of course, that Oranje will be able to continue their success um, they had two years ago when they won the European Championship. And uh, if you um, look closely, for example, in uh, Albert Heijn, you see that they have all sorts of, uh, you know, orange stuff uh, yep. for sale. So, yeah, that's actually the first time that that happens for women football. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's very nice to and see. And it's good because uh, the women are so much better than the men. I mean, women are just so much better than men. But in general. In general. But, yeah, okay. <laughs> Do I smell something on you, uh, Paul? Not particularly. Maybe yeah. it's just the odor of Brabant. <laughs> that, that's possible, yeah. The Dutch Public Prosecution Department has launched a campaign to boost public awareness about the presence of drug labs with a scent that smells like the party drug 
Ecstasy. It's presented in a square bottle, similar to Chanel Number no. 5, and it was launched at the weekend in the Brabant capital <coughs> of Den Bosch. <laughs> North Brabant province is said to have the highest concentration of drugs labs in the Netherlands. Quote, smell is the most important way that people can recognize an ecstasy lab, end quote, said public prosecutor Antoinette Doldens. That is why we want to spread the smell over the entire country so that everyone knows what to look for. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, your boyfriend uh, just showed me this very nice video of... Um uh, uh, you know, it was a parody on a beer commercial yeah. that they, where they pretend that they are brewing this beer in a very, um, uh, how do you say that? So, you know, with uh, like a family sort of company, local artisanal local. kind of way. Yeah, and they, um, the parody was that uh, this Brabant family wasn't instead of you know brewing beer, they were the producing ecstasy. ecstasy. Yeah, yeah, it was a very, a very nice video, yeah. very fun. We should, uh, we should link we'll to link it in to the, the liner notes. notes. Yeah. So where can I get one of these scents? Bottles of the scent are being distributed to police stations around the country, so uh, officials can launch their own public awareness campaigns. This is just insane. It is completely insane. <laughs> it is. Uh, I wonder how ecstasy laboratories smell like. Apparently, it smells a bit like sour anise. That's what uh, they described it as. Okay. But I, I'm going to try to get my hands on one of these perfume bottles. Definitely, yeah. So. yeah. Maybe we can send it to one of our Patreon uh, supporters. No, if we're going to do that, we should make lavender stropwaffle scented perfume. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Which one would you rather have? The ecstasy scent or the lavender strobe waffle i'd rather move to belgium <laughs> we'll be discussing the dutch results of the european parliament elections after this word from our sponsor hey you you listening to the podcast for free we're really glad you all like our opf coverage and dick laureate jokes but it costs money to bring them to your ears if you have a few extra bucks and you would like to support the work we do you can now back us on patreon go to patreon.com dutchnewsnl to donate we will give a shout out to all our backers on the podcast if you donate 50 euros gordon will dedicate the next podcast to his love of lavender strobe waffles for 75 euros molly will watch one entire football match and for the low, low, low amounts of 100 euros, I will vote for the Socialist Party in the next election. So please go to patreon.com slash DutchNewsNL to support us and keep Truby fed, which is very important. The Netherlands went to the ballot boxes already on uh, Thursday, May 23rd. So that's a week ago. Yeah, yeah, it's been a week. But we had to wait for the rest of Europe. The results were only made public on Sunday. So let's take a look at the results of the European Parliament elections and what it means for the Netherlands and for the rest of Europe. Uh, let's start with why exactly we had to wait, uh, Paul. Yeah, it had to do with the rest of Europe. As I said, the elections were not held on one day throughout the EU. Um, on Thursday, the Netherlands and the UK started uh, first, but most countries... Uh, chose to the Saturday for their elections um, and the last countries had their elections on Sunday for example Belgium uh, who combined it with several other elections it was super Sunday in Belgium it was super Sunday yeah they elected like everything <laughs> yeah and they have lots to elect they have a lot country. there's so many parliaments yeah it was reason that the results should not be made public before all elections were held in order to you know not intervene with the, with the rest of the elections um, however the NOS did release an exit poll on Thursday after the poll stations closed so we already had basically an idea of the results and also a website Geen Stijl was uh, so annoyed that we had to wait for days before the elections were made public that they um, called on people who were counting the votes uh, to send in the results of their polling stations and based on that uh, based on the results of over 700 stations uh, Geen Stijl was uh, also we just made their own exit poll basically. which was which was very close to, yeah. uh, to the results yeah it was pretty accurate 
And let's talk uh, voter turnout. How was it? It was the highest turnout in decades. Wow. Uh, overall in Europe, the turnout was 51% compared to uh, 43% uh, last year or the last time, five years ago. These numbers did exclude the UK for reasons I don't know, but apparently they don't They're... want the UK to be part of the EU anymore. I no. think they really so screw those guys, get screw out. Screw those guys, yeah. Uh, in several uh, countries, the EU elections were combined with other elections and uh, you see that turnout in these countries, uh, for example in Poland, were significantly higher than in other countries in the EU. But yeah, uh, overall other countries saw an increase uh, as well. Um, and the EU already framed this, of course, as we, we people realize that we matter, yeah. uh, we are important, so people are caring about us and you see it on both sides if you yeah. don't care at the EU at all then you might vote for uh, EU skeptical parties right. and if you are pro-EU then you vote for more parties that are more in favor of the EU yeah so they framed it as uh, they are gaining popularity and uh, yeah they realized there's something to choose from yeah voters turnout in the Netherlands was 41.2 percent and that's the highest since 1989 but still not not very high I think do you know who had the highest turnout uh, was it Estonia or something? Something like that? No? Belgium. Belgium. Ah, really? 89%. 89%, yeah, but they have like... Belgium's uh, voting is compulsory in Belgium. Yeah, yeah, and, and you already have these enormous amount of elections coming. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that, that uh, uh, yeah, explains a bit. Yeah. yeah. So, what were the results uh, in the Netherlands, Paul? Well, the big winner was surprisingly the PvdA. Hipster Santa Claus. Hipster Santa Claus, Did yeah. Did good. Uh, Labour was able to win uh, the largest share of six of the 26 uh, Dutch seats in the EU Parliament. That's an increase of three three seats, so yeah, they doubled. It's a huge so that's increase. a huge win. Another big surprise was that both the PVV and the SP didn't win any seats in the uh, EU Parliament. They're out. They're out. Yeah, they, they campaigned on, on leaving the EU, but I don't think they actually meant that they were they the ones were who were going to, to leave. leave. Yeah. VVD and CDA both have four seats. GroenLinks and uh, the new kid on the block, Forum for Democratie, have three seats. Yeah. Uh, so that's, yeah, you can say the Forum for Democratie is the big winner, but, you know, if you compare it to which results they get with the provincial elections, yeah. then this is kind of a low uh, low yeah. win for them. De Sester is also one of the big losers. Uh, they uh, now have two seats yeah. and they had four. So yeah, yeah. they... Uh, they have in size. Yep. Oh yeah, and interestingly enough, if Brexit happens, the UK seats will not just be, you know, uh, they will be redistributed over yeah. the rest of the countries and that will mean PVV will come back to Brussels. The, to Brussels yeah. yeah. So ironically, Brexit will bring them back to Europe. That's crazy that's crazy yeah Just and a lot uh, of there. yeah a lot of craziness there a lot of ironies here yeah. uh, the SP already made a head roll the chairman of the party Ron Meyer resigned following the dramatic election results but uh, their Tweede Kamer party leader Lilian Marijnissen uh, can still remain firmly in her place even though she led the party to the third consecutive electoral loss nobody told me that the uh, head of the SP was attractive I don't know why we talk about Jesse Klaver as being attractive but nobody talks about uh, Ron Meyer yeah, well, he's out. So yeah, yeah he. Uh, I wish someone had again. mentioned this sooner. I might have been more susceptible to the aspect. Mm, yeah. Well, maybe we can, uh, uh, maybe we can take a look at all the other party uh, party chair people. Well, hipster Santa Claus doesn't do it for me. No? But Why did he do it for so many people in the Netherlands? <laughs> wow, this is a great transition. That was a great transition. Yeah, it was, yeah. There are several theories. One of them is that the PvdA is now an opposition party, and uh, that gives them an electoral advantage. They are increasingly uh, and slowly recovering from their historic blow in the twenty. 17 Tweede Kamer elections when they lost 29 seats. Yeah. Uh, they now have nine seats in the Tweede Kamer. But their win is mostly attributed to 
the Timmermans effect to hipster Santa Claus, as you like to call him. Yep. Uh, Franz Timmermans was uh, foreign secretary in the second Rutte cabinet and uh, halfway he went to Europe to become vice chair of the European Commission. Um, and in the Netherlands, he is a well-known figure and uh, he profiled himself as this European statesman who you know, didn't bother with the small op uh, uh, that, that, that He's like the usually... opposite of this podcast, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are traditional uh, Santa yeah. Claus. Yeah. yeah, he didn't have to deal with these kind of things such as the Brusselmans campaign video of the SP. Yeah, um, we talked about that last week. We talked about it last week. Um, and Timmermans is also the Labour Spitzenkandidat um, he has the ambition to succeed Jean-Claude Juncker as the chair of the European Commission, uh, and this b- big win certainly helped him. Yeah, he um, polling ahead of the election showed that he had the highest name recognition of any of the people running for uh, European In Parliament. the Netherlands or in the in EU the, in general? The, in the Netherlands. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, I think so too. He yeah. was just a well-known figure. And uh, yeah, interestingly, if you are in favor of the European Union, then you you know, kind of like him because yeah. he's, a, he's a big figurehead yeah. in the European Union. But if you are opposed to EU, then you absolutely despise him. Yeah. So yeah, he is, he's one of the, he's not a bridging person. He is... No, um, but I, and I also think that, you know, the Labour Party has a pretty kind of boring and middle of the line sort of Steph Blocky kind of reputation <laughs> in general. Yeah. And that I think a lot of people who did not want to vote for a Eurosceptic party, but maybe were not super in tune to what all the other parties were saying, just voted for Pepe de Yeah, Yeah, that, that's the... Yeah. I think that's uh, that's fair to say, yeah. So uh, what were the results on the uh, European level? Yeah, because after all, these were European Parliament There's, elections. Yeah. Uh, the Netherlands only has 26 of the 751 seats of the European Parliament, so we do not have much influence. Um, yeah, and... How does the European Parliament works? It is very complicated, yeah. but I'm going to try to explain it. Here we go. Uh, the Buckle national in, parties guys. are sort of loosely unified in the Euro- European Parliament in these factions or families, as they like to call uh, themselves. That's slightly creepy. Um, it is, yeah. Um, the CDA, for example, is part of the Christian Democrat family, uh, AVP. The PVDA uh, is in the Social Democratic uh, family. The VVD and the D66 are together in the Liberal Alde group. Um, yeah, so they are all part of these kind of factions. Yeah. Um, and uh, this year, it's the first time in forever that the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats do not have a majority together. Yeah. So that means that these parties will have to go and search for other parties to reach a majority. So they're going to need to form a coalition mostly as you know it's similar as to what happens in the netherlands of course and if you look at the uh, results of new distribution uh, it almost looks like a dutch uh, parliament it does look like a dutch parliament Uh, the cdr the the christian democrats they are the largest party then we have the social democrats then the liberals it's a very traditional uh, uh, you know it could easily be a dutch parliament i think the greens they uh they they gained 17 seats Uh, they they are they are on the rise just as liberals by the way yeah and the christian democrats and the social democrats they both lost lost 38 and 34 respectively seats so yeah you can't say that they are the winner because they lost many seats, but you know they are the yeah. largest ones. But it means that the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats, they need one more party to have a majority. So they can either go to the Liberals or they can go to the Greens. And uh, yeah, that that is enough for a majority. Yeah. And usually the the leader of the, the speech and candidate of the largest party, he will become the chair of the European Commission. Yeah. But 
know, Franz Timmermans, he is not the largest party now. No. He is the second largest party. And he really wants to be this 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 new chair, uh, of yeah. course. But he is also looking at other coalitions. So he might as well bypass the Christian Democrats and just form another coalition yeah, with other possible. four parties. So yeah, there, there's a lot there's a lot possible here. Yeah. How did this uh, anti-EU revolution come about, Paul? Well, it doesn't really exist. I'm sorry, I was told by the media that it's all <laughs> anti-EU and everyone hates the EU and we all voted to not be in the EU anymore. Yeah, um, well... It doesn't exist, or at least it's a lot smaller than everybody expected and the media expected. Uh, a prime example, that, for example, yeah, the fact that Geert Wilders didn't get a seat in the EU it yeah. really shows that these parties do not get the support that they were uh, supposed to get. On the other hand, Thierry Baudet got a number of seats here, yeah. so he's also European, uh, skeptical about the European Union. Yeah, although course. it doesn't really seem like... I mean, we've sort of had this conversation again and again and again, right? That, like, Forum gets all this attention because they're, like, the new kids on the block. And it is true. They go from zero to something, from zero to something, right? So these gains seem really big. But it's not really at the expense of other parties that are different from them. It's at the expense of the PVV and the SP. The other are, populist parties, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you basically just see people sort of switching from, like, out, out with the old boss and with the new boss, like, kind of thing. It's not really a, a revolution, as no. they like to call it. But even though, you know, these European skeptical parties, they did win a lot of seats, yeah. though. Uh, their share is, you know, you could say 25%. The more or less skeptical parties and the really anti-EU parties together, they form 25% of the seats. So, yeah, they're, they are not a majority. It's not a revolution, but their share isn't insignificant. Yeah, it's not insignificant. It's not insignificant. So what's next? Yeah, there will be Game of Thrones, but with EU positions. Will there be dragons? Do we get to kill people? Depends. Is Jean-Claude Lunker sleeping with his sister? Mm, possibly. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, he is from Luxembourg. So yeah, yeah, you we'll never really know. We, we never really know. And depending on who you ask, it will be dragons. Um, but the European Parliament and the European Council, they have to agree on who will be the chair of the European Commission. Um, the European uh, Parliament, they specifically want someone who has actually run to be to have this position. So then you, you have this number of speeching candidates, as I said. Yeah. Franz Timmermans is one of them. But you also have Manfred Weber, the Christian Democrats. Where is he from? From Germany. Germany. Yeah. Um, uh, he's also one of the candidates. Uh, but the European Council, so the, the, the council that's formed by the uh, European leaders, they want someone who specifically who, wants, who has experience. So who was, for example, a prime minister or had a ministerial post that... Yeah is very significant but Manfred Weber didn't have any any of these positions yeah. so he's quite inexperienced he does have the backing of Angela Merkel yeah. for example so that's a big, that carries big plus a lot for of him. weight that carries a lot of weight but uh, others are very much opposed to him uh, in the European Council for example the French president uh, Emmanuel Macron he um, he doesn't see Manfred Weber to to, to have this position uh, just like Ma uh, uh, Mark Rutte for example yeah. but yeah Manfred Weber is the leader of of the of the largest faction in the European Parliament, so he's the natural candidate for that. Um, and also, there are a lot of other positions that need to be filled. For example, the chair of the European Bank, the Central Bank. Yeah. Uh, you name it. There are twenty-seven commissioners who who, yeah. who have to come from all the member states. So yeah, there's a lot of shuffling. A lot of shuffling and a lot of intrigue, political uh, negotiations behind the scenes. You know. Sadly, no dragons. Sadly, no dragons. So we will have to wait and see what will come out, come out of these uh, negotiations. We don't have much to say, but yeah, it's a shitstorm. It is, it is, in fact, very complicated. It is very complicated. But yeah. as far as we know, no one is actually sleeping with their sister. <laughs>
We don't know. We don't know. It's, I mean, Luxembourg is a weird place. It let's is a weird honest, place, yeah. yeah. Luckily, um, Iceland isn't part of the EU oh, because God, otherwise we definitely would have someone to, uh, that, that that sleeps with his Well, with they have family. to. There's only like seven of them. Yeah, That's how exactly. they continue to populate the island. Yeah. So how do you see the EU as, a, as an American? I'm, I'm curious. I think as an outsider... I'm really fascinated at how much anger there seems to be at it because it doesn't, it mostly just seems to like make everybody's life easier, right? That like when you see the things that the EU does, it's mostly things like, you know, getting rid of roaming charges in other European Union countries and like making sure food packaging labels are like the same so that you can ship them in different places, which makes stuff cheaper. Like it seems to me like this kind of very benign democratic organization that people just like love to hate on for some reason. Um, I wonder if they put the capital somewhere else, if it wasn't in Brussels, if people would like it more, because Brussels is such a disaster of a city. Yeah, you know this from experience. Yeah, personal experience. Do you have a proposal? Where the, where the new EU capital should be? I mean, maybe they should put it, like, somewhere sunnier. And then pe- sunnier. people oh. would be happier. Yeah, like, if it was so. in, like, the south of France. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. But let's skip France, though. No, of course. So yeah. we put it in, like, Portugal, right? Like nobody's, Monaco. Yeah, or Monaco. Hmm. Yeah, you need to just pick, like, you know, nobody's ever mad at Portugal. So, like, let's put it there. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but, but if you see uh, how this... this um, how they are... How they're trying to deal with the, how they're trying to solve all these questions, right? Because they have all sorts of things they have to to worry about. Um, uh, geographical yeah. distribution. Um, they want someone from the south to be at this position, yeah. and someone from the north to be. Uh, it's, yeah, there's it's, a lot of things to take. But I think that this is one of these things where, like, the European Union is relatively new as a concept. Um, in terms of like other democratic institutions. So like, for example, when I was writing about these whales or when I was writing about Belgium elections, <laughs> right, you're trying to explain the Rad von Stata to an American audience, which is like the judiciary system here works differently. I mean, yeah. I think we can all agree that the Dutch judiciary system mostly works well, that it is like a fair and balanced and efficient and whatever you want your judiciary system to be. But the system is different than it is in the US and trying to explain it you know, the Rad von Stata has this weird thing where it's the highest administrative court, but it's not the highest court for other things. So yeah. You can't really, like, really call it the Supreme Court. Also, no. it has this like weird advisory position. So it's like not just a court in the traditional sense. But like, you know, Dutch, for Dutch people, this is just like how it is. So you just like yeah. understand how these things are. And I think that like for a lot of people, the European Parliament is new and somewhat removed. And so it seems from the outside extremely complicated and weird much in the same way that like the judiciary system seems here um to outsiders but like to insiders it's just kind of like you know this is how things are and like they don't really see it as being strange so yeah and 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 also the uh you know you have the these three institutions in in europe you have the council you have the parliament and you have the commission and their rules constantly change yeah. uh, uh, sometimes you know uh, the parliament has often been criticized for you know, you know not doing anything basically yeah. and now they're taking up much more responsibilities and yeah. much more tasks so yeah uh, it, it's it's still it almost seems like it's still a a system that's still in development and trying yeah. to figure out uh, uh, how what what the best um, distribution of power yeah. is for example so well and I also think that I mean it's it's struggling with a lot of growing pains because the concept of Europe is a thing that's struggling with a lot of growing pains, right? That like we had, for example, you know, up until Brexit, there was a lot more people making, you know, a lot of noise about 
reducing the amount of power that the European Union has and a lot more discussion of people leaving. And then the UK decided to leave. And it's been such a clusterfuck that everyone mostly has been like, this seems like a terrible idea. Let's like not do this. Um, And I think things like the rise of a utterly incompetent American president has proven that, you know, it's much the European Union countries are much more effective when they work together as a block. And that I think for a long time, people sort of like looked to the US to kind of be, I don't know, the sort of elder statesman or kind of like the adult in the room or whatever. And then we (laughs) idiotically elected Donald Trump. And so then all of a sudden that like power vacuum has created a thing. But nobody looks to the Netherlands or to Belgium or to Spain or even really to like the UK or Germany as like the leader on these things. They sort of look to the European Union. That's where the economy is big. That's where the population is big. You know, the poor European Union is here trying to blend together the the wishes and desires of 28 national governments all with like different languages and like different like you know all sorts of like different stuff i mean you think it's like bad here that the frisians can't fucking talk to people from limburg because the accents are different i mean like yeah, at yeah, least they're yeah, speaking yeah. the literal same la- like exactly. a language that's in yeah. the same family tree like yeah. you know hungary is sort of like off doing its own goddamn thing but i think i think this language problem for example it also helps that you feel uh, people in within European Union they feel so not attached to the yeah. European Union because you know what do you have to what what do why do you have to care about people in Hungary yeah. or Portugal you don't speak that language you don't have that history I mean yeah. uh, uh, it, it all feels so um, distant I think it does and I think part of this is because the European Union has done a really bad job advertising for itself um, well that's not true I, th- I think if you if you go to the Commission website. They have so much stuff and yeah. so much information. They 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 have press releases. They are very open. They are actively yeah. try to. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that they're not. I'm not saying they're not transparent. But I think, like for example, so we talked about this last week, um, or I talked about this last week with Gordon, where like the roaming charges, right? So like everybody is real happy now that like you take your phone over a border and you're no longer having to pay ridiculous roaming charges, right? That like your phone just works in all European countries. I mean, this was like legislation that the European Parliament pushed through and then like who came out and took credit for it was all the telecom companies with like their big advertisements saying that like they had done these things and I think like that is an example and many of these things are examples of like the European Union not maybe doing such a great job of showcasing the things that they do well like I would love to see some like funny infographics about how like you know, the European Union puts down regulations for, like, the size of cabbage heads or whatever, right? This is, like, always one of these things that people are like, oh, my God, like, Brussels, they're just making up these rules. But, like, there's a reason for those rules, and the reasons are, you know, like, processing facilities in different countries, like, need things to be certain sizes, and then, like, ultimately that regulation is aimed at sort of, like, making it easier for businesses, for companies to do businesses across, like, international borders. And so, like, Instead, we just have a lot of discussion about how it's like ridiculous that there's, you know, 20 pages of rules about cabbage head sizes and no discussion about like why it is important that like people can process cabbage in Hungary or here or wherever they want, regardless of whatever language they speak and why this is better for everyone. Yeah. And then you have, of course, the question, if you are a producer of these things in the Netherlands and you're not exporting your stuff, then why do you have to deal with this? Yeah. You see, so uh, there, there are a lot of these regulations yeah. that you don't have to deal with because you're not exporting or yeah. you don't have to deal with other countries. And then the European Union comes along and they say, oh, you have to reduce the size of your carrots or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I do understand. I mean, I think, you know, there's always going to be a friction between 
bureaucratic regulations and the people who have to like live underneath them. And you sort of see this even in like companies and stuff, like much, much smaller organizations where it's like, uh, do I really have to fill out the TPS report? But like the yeah. TPS report exists for a reason and like it may be annoying and like less applicable to you, but like overall you know, that you need some sort of process for tracking TPSs. Yeah, and the question is, if, if for example, the Netherlands didn't wasn't part of the EU, then it was fair, it's very possible that they would have uh, installed a similar sort of yeah, uh, regulations. Yeah, exactly. And they had, they had to deal with it uh, anyway. So, yeah. yeah. But the EU, it's complicated. And if you look at this mess uh, with these, uh, uh, you know, new European parliaments and how they have to figure out who, which country is going to deliver which position and who will, will be there, it's... Um, it, it is uh, all very complicated. It's very and I'm complicated. I'm glad it's not my job to <laughs> to do it or to write about it. So, <laughs> so luck, luckily for us, we don't have to deal with it until uh, the results come out and yeah. we have the new positions. And then, if uh, hipster Santa Claus will be uh, the new uh, commission chair, then we will uh, probably report uh, on this. And if he's not, then uh, we don't care. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So Unless Jean Claude Lunker gets busted. Would, would you with his would you have voted? <laughs> yeah, then we will definitely cover. Would you have voted for hipster Santa Claus? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Probably. Did you vote? Yeah, I voted for uh, a CDA woman. Oh, okay. Because I filled in the... Um, uh, yeah, that's also something. I filled in the um, the STEM visor, so mm-hmm. the, the, the online tool, which can help you to figure out who you have to vote for. I usually don't determine my vote on that. But, uh, you know, it was a nice way to look on, on, on which they think I stand. And the, the top five parties that came out of my um, STEM visor... I agreed with them for 70%, all five of them. Yeah. And they were, it was PVDA, it was CDA, it was Fav- it was all across the political spectrum. Yeah. And how on earth is it possible that I agree with 70% on all five parties? It's, I mean, I think that's... It, the, the, it showed to me that there wasn't much to choose from. There's not much to choose from. Uh, from Dutch perspective, uh, uh, they have similar positions yeah. uh, regarding European uh, uh, um, uh you know, problems and questions. So I just voted for the CDI that came out number one, and uh, uh, it, I voted for the, the the leader. She was a woman. There mm-hmm. was also this campaign, campaign of, to vote, uh, for, vote women. for women. I think almost fifty percent of the European uh, Parliament will be uh, female. So yeah, that's that's a, good news. That's a good development. So yeah, I had my share in uh, in this. Good job. So I think that's uh, all we have for that's you all we uh, got. this week. This podcast is a production of uh, Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can now uh, also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. Yeah, Gordon wasn't here this week, so I don't know if we have any more. Uh, no. He usually handles the Patreon. No, maybe maybe next week we have uh, double the uh, double amount the... of patrons. Who knows? Uh, my thanks to uh, Molly Quell. I'm Paul Peters, and we'll be back uh, next week. Assuming Gordon can make it back from France. Yeah, that's always uh, that's a bit of a question. That's a tricky uh, tricky thing. Yeah. <laughs>